This is episode 318 of the AWS podcast, released on June 23, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Mark Schwartz, who's an enterprise strategist at Amazon Web Services. G'day, Mark. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on here. Now, I'm going to do a very poor job of introducing you because there are too many achievements <laughs> to list, and I don't want to yeah. embarrass you too much, but you are a uh, – a award-winning CIO, you're a well-known change agent who's done a lot of work in a number of organisations to actually move things along. And maybe one of the, the differentiations uh, that you bring to the table is that you've also written a lot about this. Uh, you're, you're published uh, multiple – I think you're up to your third book now, is that right? The third book is, has just That's been right. released? Published as of last week. Fantastic. So you've talked about things like uh, the, the art of business value. Uh, you've talked about a seat at the table, IT leadership in the age of agility. And your latest book, uh, somewhat unoriginally titled, Mark, is uh, War and Peace and IT, Business Leadership Technology and Success in the Digital Era. What, uh, what made you write that book? Well, uh, it, it sort of followed directly from the previous book, uh, in a sense. The previous book was written for IT leaders, and it was about how the role of the IT leader is changing as, you know, now we have the, the cloud and, and agile practices and DevOps and things like that. Uh, and, and people were thinking of those things in terms of projects and how they ran projects. And, and so in that book, I tried to talk about how those things really imply a change in how how one leads an IT organization. And as I was writing that book, I realized that uh, it was one thing to write it from the point of view of an IT leader, but really we needed another book that was from the point of view of the non-IT business leader, uh, maybe covering a lot of the same ideas, but what what does this look like now, the relationship between IT and the rest of the business, but not from the perspective of IT, from the perspective of the CEO, CFO, CMO, the board of directors. So that's really what this book is about. As the title would uh, maybe lead you to believe, it's not actually a sequel to Tolstoy's book, Warren. <laughs> it's uh, not part two. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I should uh, definitely mention that you don't need to have read War and Peace to enjoy this book. In fact, this book is a lot shorter, so I would start here. <laughs> That's a low bar in terms of shortness. <laughs> you, you talked about the sort of the non-IT leadership in, in enterprise in particular and organisations in general. And one of the things that's always bemused me is how we talk about IT and the business as two separate things, even though we know that kind of one doesn't exist without the other and we're all kind of on, on the same team and on the same page here. And, uh, and, and this sort of came out with some of uh, Nicholas Carr's work years ago, sort of around IT doesn't matter, where it made a lot of IT folks, including myself, upset until I sort of realised that he was actually right. So, so maybe, I mean, you, you spend a lot of time on planes visiting lots and lots of customers. What are on leadership's mind in, in, in the average enterprise? We have a lot of listeners who, who are leaders in enterprises or who work in enterprise organisations or who, who might have a career in the future in an enterprise. What are the people at the top thinking about? Yeah. Well, uh, so first of all, let me let me play a little bit off of what you just said about that distinction between IT and the business, mm. uh, because I, I think it's it's not what's top of mind for enterprise leaders, but it's the solution to what's top of mind for enterprise leaders. So 
I, I think um, we built this model in our heads of what IT is. You know, we built it over know, decades of IT and businesses where we think of IT as if it's a service provider to the, the rest of the business, as if it's sort of a contractor, you know, almost an arm's length contractor. The way you work with IT is you, you write a set of requirements you toss it over the wall to them, you negotiate the terms, you know, how long is it going to take to deliver, how much is it going to cost, and then you expect them to deliver on that schedule and you sort of manage them as if they were a contractor. And, and I think that model doesn't work very well anymore as we move into the digital age. Uh, and that's, that's really what these books are about and about, you know, what, what does it look like if you rethink what the model should be. So um, I, I say that as sort of prelude to, to talking about what I hear enterprise leaders talking about. Um, it's interesting to see the, the common themes. Obviously, every enterprise is different, but uh, I talk to over 100 a year, and each of my colleagues on my team uh, does maybe even a little bit more than that. We see themes emerging. I mean, one, one big thing on the minds of enterprise leaders now is they, they feel an imperative to grow the business. And they know that they have to somehow drive innovation or get innovation to happen in order to keep growing. And so that's very much on people's minds. We, we find that they love to hear about Amazon's culture of innovation uh, and how we think about it. Uh, because really, this is this is uh, top of mind. The uh, capital markets want to see a growth story, um, and and uh, you know there are limits to what you can do with current lines of business. So anyway, that's that's one area. We hear um, uh, we hear a lot of enterprises saying we understand that it's important to become agile. You know, we we get that. We've been hearing it from our IT folks. We hear about business agility. But what, what does that really mean in business terms? You know, how do you, how do you, uh, what exactly is going to change if we become more agile? How would we measure it? You know, how would you make a business case for it? Um, so we talk about that a lot. Do, do you think about, that's a, do you think that's a function of, of, uh, I guess something you've highlighted in the book, which is around that sort of sense of chaos and constant change. I mean, we live in a world that's mm-hmm. always changing, although we tend to put business plans together as if the world is, is, uh, <laughs> predictable and rational. And so yeah, is, do you yeah. think that that call for agility is more, is not so much because they want agility, but they want a better way to tolerate the uncertainty that they're living in? Yeah. Uncertainty is very hard for, for people to deal with in general. I, I think we, we're in a business environment and a technology environment that are full of change, rapid change, complexity, uncertainty, and that that sort of defines the environment that we're in. And if you think about it, um, those things, they they have sort of a negative sound to them, but they're not necessarily negative. When things are changing rapidly, when there's lots of uncertainty, that uncertainty and that change can become an opportunity for the company or can become a, a hazard, a bad thing. It could go either way, right? Change creates opportunity and it also potentially creates problems. And the way that I think about it, what determines which of those it is, right? When, a, when, an une- when something unexpected happens, is it bad for you or good for you? What determines 
which of those it is. Well, it's, it's your agility. It's your ability to respond to that change, to turn it into an opportunity, to be creative and innovative and uh, be that quickly enough so that you can take advantage of the opportunity. So the way I figure it, risk is about the same thing as not having agility. Those two, those two are almost equal to me. You know, you're you're at risk to the extent that you can't seize opportunities, and uh, the value of agility is tremendous. But it can't always be expressed in a simple business case that tries to project future revenues and and future costs, right? This is risk reduction. It's about the ability to respond to change. And that's actually where the business value is. Uh, It's an interesting problem if you're used to making business cases that project revenues and, and costs and show a return on investment. Yeah, and certainly in my experience, very few business cases get revisited five years down the track to, no, <laughs> to be compared to the reality. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's not, it's not going to compare in any way. No. Uh, if, you're, if you're in an environment where you expect not much to change over the five years, then you know you can make that upfront plan and, you know, put a lot of work into it to try to pin down all the details and all that. But if things are going to change on you, then uh, probably the worst thing you can do is try to, to try to ex- ex- execute on that original plan because it probably doesn't fit the changing circumstances. The risk, the risk profile piece I think is really important because it's, it's, it's one of the biggest factors of success or failure uh, of, of enterprises in this sort of brave new world. And I, I think a lot of it ties into the, the fact that humans are really bad at, at, at sort of assessing risk. I think from memory, you have more chance of being killed by a vending machine than a shark but most people are afraid of <laughs> sharks, not vending machines. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know how do how, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> so so how do you find senior leadership in IT and IT uh, in enterprise? I should say in enterprise organisations in general, adapting to this this new concept of of that regular and frequent small batch changes actually reduces your risk profile versus the classic yeah. don't touch it, it's working. Uh, it's kind of analogous to the, you know, a a um, a brittle a brittle tree will break in the wind, whereas something that can bend will will last through the storm. How do you help people on this journey? Yeah, I, and I I think you're right on target with that. Um, uh, we find that it is a little bit difficult for people to think in those terms. Uh, one thing that interferes is uh, this kind of fear of the new that that is sort of natural to people. You know, when when something is new, it is often a little bit scary. And it's it's easy to confuse that uh, scariness with risk, but it's not really the same thing. Uh, It's more a fear that there is a risk that you don't know about, uh, if you see what I mean. The um, new techniques in IT, the ability to deliver small and fast, to use the cloud and to be able to change the amount of infrastructure you're using, either scale it up or scale it down or change what infrastructure, the, uh, the ability to quickly make changes by using uh, higher level services as building blocks, all those things are risk reducing. 
They let you use this model of fast delivery, trying things out before committing to them. Uh, there are lots of different ways that you can reduce risk with these new models. But sometimes the, uh, and almost always, I think the initial reaction is, oh, uh, doing a big migration to the cloud, that must be risky because we don't really know much about it. It's, it's sort of unknown territory. Uh, or even the reaction that speed is risky, right? We often think if you're going too fast, you're, you're taking risks. Whereas the truth is that uh, the more speed you have, if you're using speed to mitigate risk, the more you can mitigate risk. And there are, there are good ways to use speed to mitigate risk. For example, uh, I think as you implied, you can very quickly try out ideas, build on them incrementally. Uh, you can stage investments so you're not committing all of your money up front. You're not uh, pouring a lot of money into, into fixed assets that you're going to have to live with indefinitely, even if things change. Um, so uh, it takes a little bit of um, almost a judo move or something, you know, a little bit of a lever to turn what looks like a risky thing into something that looks like actually a, a huge risk mitigation. And, and you've uh, sort of Look back in history to some of uh, the famous IT leaders of our time, including Napoleon, who was a famous IT leader. <laughs> um, a, a, a more, more as an example of how the ability to, to cope with change and, and do it in a timely fashion can can be life changing from a from a battle perspective and, and business changing from a from an enterprise IT perspective. Tell us a little bit about sort yeah. of what you drew from that and, and what lessons we can learn from that. You know, Napoleon was actually one of the biggest change agents ever. Uh, we, we normally think of him as a, a big-time general. But, uh, for example, he's the guy who uh, brought the metric system to France. Uh, he, he uh, oh, I don't know. He, he uh, redid so many things in, in French society. Uh, in how wars are fought. He made his artillery much more nimble and mobile. So great change agent. But what happens in War and Peace, in the, uh, in the particular scene from it that I, that I tell about, this is the Battle of Borodino, right outside of Moscow. And, and so you've got Napoleon and his French army on one side, you've got the Russian army on the other side. And during the battle, Napoleon is commanding, obviously. He's doing it from on top of a hill that is about a mile away from the battle. And the problem is he can't see anything. It's, it's a mile away, and the battlefield becomes filled with dust and smoke, and uh, there are little gullies in between him and where the battle is. So he can't see anything, but yet he's issuing orders. <laughs> And the way he does it is messengers ride up to him from the battle and they tell him what's going on. And then uh, he gives an order and then they ride back to the battle. And uh, so it's it's a funny scene in Tolstoy's novel where the messenger comes riding up to Napoleon and says, we've taken the bridge over the river. Do you order the troops to cross it? And Napoleon says, yes, have them cross and I'll meet them on the other side. And what he doesn't know is that even as soon as the messenger was leaving the battle, the Russians had retaken the bridge and they burned it. So Napoleon's order doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> and uh, fortunately, throughout the battle, everybody's ignoring his orders because uh, they they just don't really relate to what's going on on the battlefield. And the the important lesson of that story to me is here you have Napoleon with this long lead time for for making and and implementing a decision. You know, he has to wait for the messenger to come to him. He thinks about his decision, he, he gives it to the messenger, the messenger rides back. That's a, a really long lead time between uh, sensing and responding. And what's actually happening on the battlefield has a very short lead time or a very short cycle time. Things are constantly changing and they're changing very quickly and changing in, in confusing, complex ways. And uh, if you think about it, the, the mismatch between those two things, the really fast cycle time on the battlefield and the really long cycle time for Napoleon's decisions, means that Napoleon cannot effectively lead the battle. Uh, he's just out of sync with what's happening. And if you, uh, if you relate that to the digital age and to the situation that businesses are typically in now, they're in an environment where things are changing very rapidly. Uh, competitors are disrupting. New competitors are arising. Um, you have changing geopolitical situations and government regulation. All sorts of things are changing pretty quickly. But for most businesses to respond to those changes, they have to, if it, if it involves IT, they have to put together a requirements document and put it through a governance process and an investment management process and make a project plan and draw Gantt charts. And, uh, you know, all, it's very long response time to react to those changes. Really, they're putting themselves in the same position as Napoleon on top of that hill a mile away. Uh, and uh, the only way to really be able to respond and seize opportunities in this rapidly changing world is to shorten the amount of time that all of that takes. And it's it's interesting you talk about that sort of situational awareness that means you're making better decisions. And what often happens is that the decision making processes of a few years back, which were suitable for a few years back, aren't aren't suitable anymore. But they kind of they haven't had the upgrade that they need. Yeah. I was, you know, I was in government IT before I joined AWS, and it was normal for projects to take five years, ten years, uh, and and it's almost unimaginable to me now. If you make a plan that's a five-year plan or a ten-year plan, and you try to follow it, you know that it can't possibly still be uh, valid. You know, it's, it can't possibly achieve the value that it, you thought it was going to achieve five years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's it's even even if you think about a five year timeline, any any hardware you procure at the start of that project is going to be obsolete by the end of the project. Yeah. It's like you know, it just it doesn't work that way. In the it's true, and I, I don't, I wouldn't exactly say you shouldn't think about the next five years. Uh, but the thing is, when you when you think about it, you have to admit to the uncertainty, right? You can't you can't pretend that you can make a business plan that has exact. Uh, projections for what your revenues and your costs are going to be. You have to treat it as a plan that has a very, very wide confidence interval or, you know, uh, precision and act so as to test hypotheses, test the assumptions that are in the plan, react to things that change that make the plan uh, 
I won't say invalid, but not not uh, the way it was originally formulated. So it's a very different way of thinking about planning. Yeah, you got to got to kind of look at the uh, the uncertainty as a as a feature versus a bug, and design accordingly. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, it's just a given. Now, in the book, you call out a really unusual hero. Uh, this is often a character in in many uh, large enterprises that uh, IT folks in particular are almost deathly afraid of. Uh, this is the the chief financial officer or the CFO, or she she or he is the person that signs off the big checks. And often IT is afraid because they've bought them uh, big, hairy, expensive projects in the past that have sometimes gone well, sometimes not gone well. But the the CFO is always frowning at how much stuff is costing. And uh, and just as an aside, it's always interesting when I talk to a lot of developers in enterprise IT who don't necessarily see the cost of the infrastructure that they use. And and at some point, someone pays the bill and the CFO is that person in enterprise. So how can the CFO be be, be a different character in our story? Well, I think in, in many ways, the CFO and the finance organization are where competitive advantage are actually going to happen in the future. I think of the CFO as sort of the hero of the digital transformation story. And what I mean by that is now the CFO is in a position where he or she has to allocate capital and resources to initiatives without having that thorough business case, you know, with these made up projections or whatever we've used in the past. Somehow the CFO has to figure out how to correctly apply capital to a portfolio of experiments, uh, to um, initiatives that create options to be used later on. Uh, it, it's really an interesting question of, of finesse. You know, what, how do you manage the, the organization's money effectively in an environment where change is so rapid and constant? So that's, that's the first reason. Uh, I think the CFO is sort of the hero. Um, I think the the CFO now has to figure out how to encourage that top line growth that the company is looking for. And uh, that means encouraging innovation. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, so where before we might have thought of the CFO as the person who stops initiatives because uh, they're sort of a gatekeeper around capital, now they're the ones that have to find ways to cause innovation to happen and, and to fund it. So I think that's that's sort of a fascinating change. I think also um, the CFO is probably in the best position of the, the leadership team to be looking across the entire enterprise, across all of the silos, gathering data that is performance related or operational related and uh, interpreting it, turning it into strategy for the company. So where before the CFO might have been mostly backward looking when looking at data, you know, here's the financial statements, the description of what happened in the last year. Uh, now the CFO role has to change to be a very forward-looking one. You know, let's look at operational indicators right now, see where they place us and what decisions do we have to make about running the company uh, and inform company strategy through the use of data and good analysis. 
So I think in many ways, the CFO is right at the center of that digital transformation, both both uh, resourcing the right initiatives, applying capital in the right way, and taking the data that's being collected and turning it into insights for the rest of the enterprise. I mean, how much more central to, to the digital age could you be? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about organizations that have sort of worked on bridging that gap that may have existed with uh, IT and the classic business function and sort of treating IT as a bit of just a, a service desk or a service provider versus a, a value component of the entire business operation. What What is the best way to start that dialogue? How do we start moving from from what is to what can be? Well, what I, what I uh, like to think about is – the um, the sort of old model, the the arm's length contractor model, required the business, whatever that is, to take a business goal or an objective, turn it into a set of requirements, and hand those requirements to the IT organization. That process, where you t- take, start with the objective, turn it into requirements, and then turn it over, it adds risk in a way, because what if the, that particular set of requirements doesn't actually accomplish the objective? You're, you're suddenly adding this extra step in the middle that adds another risk that you might not execute right or accomplish the objectives. So what if you just started with that business objective and essentially pass that business objective to IT or to a, a joint team of, of IT and business folks? So uh, without, without that intermediate step of, of adding the requirements, which then limits what the IT organization has the freedom to do. So, for example, in, uh, in my previous role at uh, USCIS, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, we had a case uh, where, for example, we realized that our employees, the, the adjudicators, could process 70 cases a day of a particular type of case. And so we had a business objective that they should be able to process a lot more than 70 cases a day. The old way of thinking about this would have meant that somebody on, on the business side, on the non-IT side, would write a set of requirements for an IT system to help them be able to process more cases. And they would put into that requirements document all of the things that they thought might help with that and all of the things that they thought should be in in such a system. What we did as an experiment, and that worked very well, and and now we're using, uh, we used a lot more there, and I've seen other organizations use, is to take that goal. Right now, the adjudicators can do 70 cases a day. We want it to be higher. And pass that goal to a a cross-functional team of business and IT people and say, "Go, go to it. You know, find a way for them to process more than 70 cases a day. There are no IT requirements. Uh, there's just your skills and knowledge, and you can try experiments. You can create hypotheses about what might increase the number of cases per day. You can uh, try test out your hypotheses. You can change business processes. You can change technology, whatever it is. But 
because IT cycle time can be so short now, because you can produce things so quickly, you should be able to start creating a change in days. You know, to, tomorrow we can look at that number again and see if it's still 70 cases a day. And then the next day you could deploy a bunch of software and make changes and we could look at the number again. So let's say we're going to keep reviewing your progress by looking at the number. Is it 70? Is it a higher number? And with that one control, you're free to do whatever works best. Uh, and that way it's not a contractor-like relationship. It's technologists supplying their technology skills to solving a business problem alongside the people who have other skills, uh, business operations skills. So it's definitely an, an approach shift and a mindset shift that, that takes time, but it can happen in any organization. Yeah. It's a, it's a very different way of thinking about it. And when you, when you start trying to do it, as we did, you, you, uh, you know, come up against a wall a bunch of times where you realize you, you're still set in an old way of thinking. You know, you have to think differently about it now. Um, so for one thing, in, in that case, we, we uh, really had to force ourselves to look for results right away, right? It's, it's uh, old school, you give six months or something and then you expect to see results. But we really sat down every two weeks and said, okay, what's the number now? What, you know, what have we accomplished and, and what should we change to be accomplishing more? Um, it really changes the way that you think about things. And going back to that, you know, important goal for enterprises these days that are trying to drive innovation so they can drive growth. This sort of approach maximizes innovation because you're telling the team, be creative, figure out ways to do it. We're not gonna tell you exactly what the requirements are, which would limit you, but just use your full creativity. So it was, it was a, a great learning experience the first time we tried it and it was so effective, we just kept using it uh, in different ways for different initiatives. Sounds like a, a very positive way to go. It always reminds me of the old saying, uh, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So if you're using your old processes, don't be surprised when you get the same outcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Mark, thanks for sharing your insights. So your new book, uh, War and Peace and IT, Business Leadership, Technology and Success in the Digital Age. Dare I ask, is it on the Kindle store? <laughs> Uh, it turns out that you can you can get this book through Amazon.com. <laughs> you can get it in print, you can get it in Kindle, or you can get it in audiobook. Excellent. Well, we'll put some links in the show notes so that uh, those who are interested can get hold of it. And uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. No, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.